head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast the pride of limerick the young man named sean sheehan the mma media don graham mcdonald the severe MMA people that are coming to the local shows way before everyone else. To see them coming up and they're getting their shot. And I'm proud that people are coming up with me. Welcome, welcome everybody to episode 198 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by Philip O'Connor, who gave me maybe the best excuse ever for having to put the podcast back a little bit. I've had Andrew McGahan on here now for about 100 episodes, and that man had an excuse every week for putting the podcast back. Graham is pretty bad, as you can tell by him not being here today for excuses. But tell us what you've been doing for the last while there while, <laughs> while, uh, while I've been watching Man City wallop Chelsea. I have been covering uh, the World Championships in Alpine skiing where Lindsay Vaughan brought the curtain down on her glittering career as an Alpine skier today and I'm not the better of it, Sean. It has ruined my life for the last week. This time last week, I was on a night train up to Ora, which was like three hours delayed. It's about eight hours north of here on a train. I'm in Stockholm at the moment and I was in minus 17 filming last week because Lindsay was supposed to have her press conference on Monday and then she cancelled until Tuesday. So I'm left standing there in minus 17 like a dickhead. She had the press conference on Tuesday and then I came back down and then uh, a news agency rang me this morning and said would you mind writing her last races today would you mind writing about the day and that kind of thing so that's what I spent the day doing so no Manchester City for me but I've seen plenty of Bellator and plenty of UFC and plenty of Premier League football yesterday and plenty of bloody skiing today I can tell you I, uh, people usually give out to us for like talking about soccer at the start of podcasts and stuff I hope there's no Alpine ski haters <laughs> coming up this week to give out to us but it's do you know what it was it actually had a lot of parallels with Anderson Silva last night because mm-hmm. Uh, Lindsay Vaughn today the competition she came she came out third she came out the gate third and she took the lead for a little while and you know eventually somebody else overtook her but she got a bronze medal so it was just a kind of dignified exit from the sport that you would wish for Lindsay Vaughn and that we very very seldom get in MMA we, yeah we almost never get in MMA and we, we'll get to that in a second but I suppose talking about dignified exits we could talk about Robert Whitaker a little bit and he didn't really have the most dignified of exits from UFC 234 which went down last night over in Melbourne Australia so he was forced to pull out maybe what four or five hours before the actual cards took place and making that Anderson Silva fight against Israel Adesanya the new main event like it's 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 really weird do we do you you know you cover a lot of sports how often does this actually happen? Like, it happens fairly often in MMA. You know, I know, you know, Man United were playing a while ago. Chris Smalling there a couple of weeks ago got injured in the warm-up. And you see it the odds maybe three or four times a season in soccer and other sports as well. But in MMA, it seems to happen just a way too often. Or am I going insane? Does it happen in all sports? No, no, no. This is this is an MMA. This is an extreme sports thing, right? The only thing I can p- compare it to is other extreme sports like snowboarding, skateboarding, BMX, that kind of thing, where you go out there and you put your body on the line. Like MMA is a full contact sport. There's no hanging around, regardless of you know. And remember John Kavanagh writing in Win or Learn how they try not to spar. You know, you try tell a tell a fella, oh, you know, punch that fella in the face, but do it gently. You know, it's really hard to do that. Now, okay, what happened to Whitaker wasn't that at all. It was a hernia that he got hit by. So that was a bit more unlucky. But, you know, when uh, Rafael Dos Anjos breaks a bone or whatever else like that, you know, that's to be expected in mixed martial arts. And, you know, the parallel with football is an interesting one because if Chris Smalling gets injured in the warm-up, it's not like Manchester United have to call it off. It's not like they go down the road and get FC United to Manchester or fucking Yeovil to turn up and play the match instead. They could still go ahead because they've got other people to put in there. But with MMA, and this is the huge risk that you take every time, that if a guy misses weight or if a girl gets injured or whatever before that, all of a sudden you lose the main event. And it for an extremely pedestrian card like you know I think I've seen other MMA journalists who were out there last night going you know how many people are going to buy this on pay-per-view now when this is gone because you know Anderson Silva yeah, brilliant fighter and everything else like that but that's not a main event on a pay-per-view card you know and I think the UFC actually said that anybody who had tickets for the event could get their money back because mm-hmm. the whole thing basically went you know turned into it was a weak enough card to begin with you know I was sitting there kind of scratching my head because you know the way you get mixed up and what's a fight night what's on ESPN what's yeah. on Fox Sports what 
what's on days and all this kind of thing. I was going, is this actually a, a pay-per-view card that they're having in Melbourne? And I was going, Jay's no, couldn't be. I looked at the undercard and went, no, no, that, that's not right at all. And then you turn it that was, and then you lose the main event. And it really is, it's a bit of a shambles, but it's the nature of the beast, really, because it is such an extreme sport that people put their bodies through such extreme things. We've been told that Whitaker uh, didn't, it was nothing to do with weight cutting or anything else like that. Now, I haven't been told what it was to do with where the hernia came from, but, you know, it, it seemed to go very, very quickly. That's usually the kind of thing that you get a bit more notice of, you know, mm -hmm. but all of a sudden he wound up in hospital and surgery and that kind of thing, you know. I mean, they handled it, the two fighters handled it in a very dignified manner. The UFC did what they could when their main event is wiped out a few hours before the gates opened, but yeah, it is. I mean, we usually have that tweet that goes back between you and me when this happens. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly, yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a medical professional. He was telling me, you know, a hernia like this is very uh, common in older people, but in younger people, it would have to be, you know, something very unlucky or, or highly strained or, or something like that. So it's interesting. You know, we have got no details of it yet, so I suppose there's no point really talking about that until we do get the details. But I think you hit on the most salient point of this whole thing there. Like, this card, it was one hernia it was one hamstring pull. It was one person missing weight away from disaster. You know, and that's exactly what we got. They were almost asking for it because it was, you know, because it was so bad and because it was so close like that. Like, Lando Venata versus Marcos Mariano, who, like, I've never heard of Marcos Mariano before. He turned, turned into the co-main event. You know, Montana De La Rosa against uh, Nadia Kasim on the on the, the main card. You know, even going down further, there was there was very very little on this card. And when you call it when you call a card a pay per view, and when you bring it to a big uh, destination like Melbourne, or you know, I, I, you know, could be New York, it could be uh, Los Angeles, and stuff as well. I think you have the responsibility to give those people a card that isn't on the precipice of falling apart with one injury, like the. And you said as well, you know, they gave them refunds there. That wasn't out of the goodness of their heart as well. You know, they have to give you re a refund if the main uh, car, if the main fight on the card falls out. So I'm sure the UFC, if they didn't, <laughs> they didn't have to do that, they, they they wouldn't be doing it. But I think a lot of the people turned it down, and a lot of people showed up anyway. But like, do you think this is something they'll they'll actually learn from the UFC and and end up stacking these cards a little bit more, or will they just continue to do it this way? I, I think you have to. If you go down through the card and the prelims and that kind of thing, you know, you have to see it from the perspective. We're looking at this from a sort of a European slash American MMA perspective, right? Yeah. This card would never, it never work in New York, it never work in St. Louis, and absolutely never work in Las Vegas, right? But there's a few Asian fighters on there, there's a few Australian fighters on there, so it might be a big thing, you know, in the Australian Asian market. You know, maybe there's something that we're missing there. Maybe this is the kind of card that they wanted, right? But it was pay per view in the United States of America. Sam Alvey is not going to carry a fucking card in the USA. Do you know what I mean? People went rushing home from their shopping yesterday afternoon to get Sam Alvey on the TV. You know, much at all as I like Smile and Sam, but that's just not where it was at, you know? So to me, it seemed like a bit of a, it's like a gimme put in golf to go, okay, just have that one and get it over with kind of thing. Yeah. But it did. I mean, I really think that you have to have, when you go into this, because again, you know, you're one injury away from a fiasco, but you're two injuries away from a total disaster. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if Anderson Silva, who's 43, the man is four years younger than me and I'm not in great shape mm -hmm. you know I mean so like anything can happen there we've had you know Tony Ferguson uh, you know falling out of fights you know due to slip, uh, slipping and falling on something that kind of thing you know so you really need to have either a designated reserve for the main event like a fighter where you say right I'm going to give you 20 grand 40 grand you keep ready and you make weight and you step in if one of these guys goes down you know who that could have been in the case of Whitaker or Gastelum I don't know uh, who you would have had you know you're, you're basically asking somebody to go through a camp there and take a title fight and be ready for a title fight except, you know, a bit like Ally Akinta did when he stepped in against Khabib that time, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of thing you have to do. You have to look at sort of, you know, resetting your card then because, you know, you're taking something like that Lando Venata fight against Marcos Mariano. Wasn't that like on the fight pass, fight was, pass yeah. prelims? You know, th that was on before people had their breakfast kind of thing, you know. And then it's, it's the co-main event. It's like, you know, are we doing this with bingo balls or, you know, how are we deciding the order of these fights here, you know? And then it was over after, okay, what was it, five five seconds left in the first round when he got the submission, that kind of thing. I mean, it wasn't a bad fight by any stretch, you know, it was a nice Kimura at the end. It looked, it looked really standard. There was nothing outstanding about the fight at all. So, you know, I think you've got to look at how they build up the cards. I do think, though, that there has been a thing with the UFC. I remember when they were here in Stockholm, 
and the executive as always the name slips my mind at the moment now he's left the UFC since but he was the VP for, for Europe at the time and I was talking about this you know that European fans are a little bit sick of weak-ish cards right mm -hmm. you get a good card in London right enough you might get one in Manchester but you know when they put them on in Hamburg or whatever they tend to be a little bit ropey you know yeah, there's like Dublin. again yeah exactly well if Alexander Gustafsson against uh, Glover Tejeda here in Stockholm a couple of years back like either those went down that fucking card wasn't much Oliver Enkamp is he going to sell out the Globe and Arena here in Stockholm yeah. Oliver's a lovely bloke and that kind of thing but nah don't think so Ilir Latifi might have <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. I'd say you know Dana had Iller's uh, number in his back pocket. Yeah. Did Iller fight on that card? He, uh, that remember. was wasn't uh, Musasi I, versus Gustafsson supposed to be in Stockholm, and then uh, Gustafsson got a uh, uh, scratch or scratch or what, what's the word I'm looking for a laceration over his eye, and yep. then uh, Iller Latifi had to, to step in and main event. So that's exa a prime example, another one there for that to happen. Yeah. Like, so it's you know they they definitely are on they're they're taking the piss at times with these well, cars. But, I, you know, I remember back to when Conor was supposed to meet um, Rafael Dasanias. I remember Pizzi telling me when Dasanias was out. And, like, at that stage, we were all booked. All the journalists were booked and ready to go, you know. And that was when they pulled Nate Diaz out of their back pocket. And we were thinking, ah, here, this is going to be a total waste of time, non-title fight. And it turned into one of the greatest fights and the greatest narratives in UFC history kind yeah. of thing. But, you know, it doesn't often work that way. More often than not, you're going to get Lando Venata against Marcos Mariano and Dana shrugging his shoulders and going, what do you want me to do afterwards? Mm -hmm. But it's very difficult, you know, to, to sort of... To the fireproof any uh, event against that eventuality is extremely difficult, but they really are going to have to look at that. You know, it might be that you say to a fighter, take Whitaker and Gaslam and take whoever in that weight class then last night. You have a guy on standby, you know, uh, Whitaker goes out with a hernia, that's fine. Cut it down to a three round non title or interim title fight or something like that. We'll have some sort of idea for what you're going to do because, you know, fans don't do disappointment. You know, they, they you know, to, to turn out in Melbourne last night and to walk away with that taste in your mouth. Now they were cheering just as the, the main event went the, di the distance and that kind of thing. So they seem to be happy enough. But, you know, for the casual TV fan and that kind of thing, I'd say people probably turned off in their droves, unfortunately. Yeah, you know? 100%. And look, I I suppose from what Robert Whitaker's point of view as well, you know, it's terrible for him. He's been a terrible uh, look with injuries recently, and this one, I'm sure he didn't. He had, you know, he didn't want to get to get injured. Obviously, a, a couple of hours before the fight, and it wasn't weight cutting or anything. So, you know, it'd be it'd be sick enough if he got stripped and, and a replacement went in for him. But I think for the fans and the viewers and stuff, you have to look after them as well. But look, I suppose what we did end up with was was Anderson Silva versus Israel Adesanya as the main event, and it turned out actually to be. A relatively good fight. Like just looking at the fight last week and a couple of weeks before, I think it it played out a lot like I expected, a lot like most people expected. Except I think Anderson Silva actually did a lot better. Maybe Israel came out and had a great first round, the perfect first round that you want against Anderson Silva. He controlled the cadence of that fight. He was throwing lovely feints to, to just stop Anderson. Anderson couldn't really get a read in him as Dominic Cruz uh, kept kept kind of reminding us. Anderson was threatening with the the counter, but he didn't really land it until the second round he did well with the clinch as well uh, at times Israel was just uh, he was just offensive enough to stop Anderson countering him early like in the second what I think actually changed in that fight and why Anderson you know arguably won the second round it was, it was a close round was he just started hand fighting he didn't let Israel lead with the jab he didn't let him win with the jab and, and he landed counters off of that and then towards the third Israel read that and he changed again he didn't start you know he didn't get into the hand fighting game he didn't get into the, to the long shots from the outside he started Started throwing low leg kicks. He started, you know, he started kicking Anderson with the, with that back leg side kick that that John Jones throws a lot, the oblique kick. Mm -hmm. And Anderson a little bit, like Anderson was coming into that fight more and more throughout until Israel kind of changed things up. And then Anderson, it's not that he threw it away, but I think he's. His game planning let him down a little bit in the third round. He started pushing himself against the cage. It, it just didn't work for him. Now, I think he did that because going forward and throwing big shots against Israel wasn't working. But I think if he'd stuck to that game and tried to draw him into the hand-fighting uh, game and you know a bit maybe backed out a little bit when he was throwing those leg kicks and force him to jab on him and, and force him to, to put himself in, in a position where he was getting countered, it would have put Israel in, in another, uh, you know, a little bit of trouble. But I think... You know, two things for for Anderson Silva and Conor McGregor mentioned in the tweet after. It's very crafty, you know, especially in that yeah. second round, really crafty, but slower as well, noticeably slower. You know, I said he landed counters, maybe three in the whole fight, but he, he before that in that second round when Anderson started landing a couple of those counters, when Israel was struggling a little bit and took time to change up his game, Anderson of old would have beaten him there. You know, he would have beaten a fighter there. Maybe not a, you know, maybe he never would have beaten Israel Alessania because he's so good and he's moved on a little bit. But like if that's against, uh, you know, a 
Stefan Bonner or if that's against uh, Chael Sonnen or whatever else and he gets his purple patch in the fight, he's winning that fight. But overall, it wasn't a bad fight, was it? It was a good fight to watch from uh, definitely a technical sign, uh, point of view anyway. It really was. It was really enjoyable. I, I love to see that, right? Because Anderson Silva is obviously 43 years of age now. His prime is long gone. But he's still able to give Adesanya a match. He still has enough in his toolbox there that Adesanya has to respect all that. He knows that that counter can come at any time. Yeah. I loved uh, Anderson Silva's head movement. Usually that's one of the things that when you get a little bit older, a little bit tired, the head movement of the head and shoulder slows down. But Silva, especially in the second and third rounds, he seemed to have that again. He was moving really, really well and presenting a really, really difficult target. But you know what? I'd be a little bit worried for Israel Adesanya that he was fighting a guy who was 43 and that you know he like you say his game planning wasn't the best he really would want to have finished that fight in some way and yet he couldn't solve the puzzle in the end right and it was a real tactical back and forth battle kind of thing now like you say you know and Anderson Silva you know, maybe six seven eight years ago would have probably won that fight at, at certain points he had the upper hand so much that you know if he had that old sort of you know speed, if he had that old hand speed that he had before, he could have caused maybe an awful lot more problems. So from Israel Adesanya's point of view, it was actually a very good run out against an extremely intelligent fighter, against the kind of guy that he's going to meet as he climbs up the ranks and that kind of thing, and, and tries to go for sort of title shots and that. But I'd still be a little bit worried that he didn't, he should have been, for me, he should have been that little bit more dominant against what is essentially an old man with an awful lot of miles on his MMA clock there, you know, that he really should have made it a little bit easier than what he did. Now, again, it was funny to see uh, Anderson Silva trying to back up against the cage and trying to entice Israel Adesanya mm. into that position, you know, and Israel's got no, no, I'm not having that. I want to be here in the middle of the octagon. I want you to come to me, you know, mm. and that's, you know, there was a reason for that, you know, Anderson wanted that kind of thing. He wants to be able to switch his footwork out there. He didn't want to be fighting out on the open plains against this young lion. He wanted to be in a tighter sort of a corner where he could clinch, where he could support himself with his back against the cage if he needed to. So it was fascinating to see, but yeah, like you say, the game planning needs to step it up a notch. I don't know, you may have heard a little better than I did when I was watching the back there. Did you hear anything from, of the coaching from Adesanya's corner? Did you hear, I wasn't paying attention to them between rounds or anything else like that. So did they have any contribution that, you know, was there something he was told that he didn't listen to or do you think he just sort of, you know, he just didn't have what it took to solve the puzzle on the night? I, look, I, I disagree with you a little bit in that, like, I, I think he was, you have to respect Anderson Silva a lot. You know, he's still Anderson Silva at the end of the day. I know he's 43 and everything like that. But like, for me, and I agree with you, like he, there was ways he could have maybe got him out of there, like throwing high kicks late in the third and stuff like that, hitting him more leg kicks, you know, kicks that he couldn't really counter or high kicks that he couldn't really counter either. Make it, just make it more difficult for him. And I definitely agree with that. But I think, like, I think what, Israel did in the first couple of rounds and that the word cadence is very important against Anderson Silva because yep. if you if you control the cadence of the fight you will win the fight against Anderson Silva and you could say that for anyone but it's more important with Anderson Silva because Anderson tries to get you out of your game and why I disagree with you saying you know he could have upped the pace a little bit tried to finish it because when he did up the pace and when he did go forward at Anderson Silva that was when Anderson was was countering him you know when when Israel went to throw three or four shots at a time you know and we we talk a lot in MMA about combinations you to throw combinations and you definitely yeah. should a lot of time but against Anderson Silva that's very dangerous especially when you're throwing combinations and and like three four punch combinations when the first two punches go maybe land but then you're still in the same position throwing the next two punches and that's very very dangerous against Anderson Silva so I think he was right I think he was right to stay on the outside recognize that he was quicker than Anderson Silva from there recognize that he was longer Anderson couldn't break that uh, that that gap to get in and Anderson going forward you know we talked about Anderson a long time we did a career retrospective on him in a couple a couple of weeks ago and talked about it Anderson is it is a counter fighter he he's he was never going to beat Israel Adesanya going forward never ever and I think Israel fighting in a position that made Anderson Silva come forward to beat him for the first and third round was was really really smart so I've, I've no problem 100% with that but I think I think your point about it being a big fight for Israel Adesanya and having a little a few worries about him going into it it is a big thing because in that second round he did get drawn into it a little bit he did lose his cadence he did get into Anderson Silva's cadence a little bit and that would be a little bit of a worry like he, he knows Anderson Silva better than anyone he he said himself he models himself after him and you know mm. if, if he gets drawn into a fight against Robert Whitaker like that who is well able to have a firefight like that it could be trouble for him if he gets drawn in against a Chris Weidman and Weidman takes him down if Jacare takes him down with his jiu-jitsu I I a hundred percent agree with that, but he's he's but young as well, isn't he? he? He's a young guy, only one year in the UFC, so. 
Yeah. Yeah, but he's also yeah, to be fair to him as well, you know. Again, th that's me putting the sort of the onus on him to entertain me, and that's not what he's there to do, right? Yeah. He was the only one with something to lose last night. Anderson Silva loses that fight last night, and it doesn't really matter. That's it's right. not like Anderson Silva is trying to build himself towards another title shot and that kind of thing. I'm sure he'd take it if they gave it to him. But you know, that's not where Israel Alessandria is at now. If he got sort of knocked out cold coming in the second round there because he just didn't have the patience and got clocked, I'd, I'd be even harder on him, I suppose, than what I'm being that's now. Right. So yeah. he was the only one in that cage last night with anything to lose so, you know you can understand it from that point of view but that said I'm thinking from the point of view of the guys that he's going to meet further up the line have now been given a, a few keys like a few little sort of um, tells that they now know the kind of thing that, especially if he's fighting a counter puncher a counter striker yeah. they now know you know to sit in the pocket and wait on him and try to draw him forward that kind of thing and if they have a sort of a tighter defence I thought Anderson Silva was quite good defensively last night he didn't get hit as much as I would have expected against a, a young gun like, uh, like Adesanya you know so he did pretty well in there but I think that other fighters and other coaches will have watched that and said okay this is the kind of fight that you need to lock him into I would have also liked to have seen anything happen on the ground in that fight however unlikely that might have been yeah. but just just to test it a little bit and to see you know the, wh who's who's more comfortable there you know mm -hmm. and to see if Adesanya had anything to go with because like you say a Widemer or whoever else like that you're into a whole different ball game if that fight is ever taken to the deck and that's the kind of thing we've seen it with Conor McGregor as well that you know it was only really when he got taken down the first couple of times that we saw, you know, the, the kind of heart that he had and the kind of, you know, the skills that he had down there. We saw his limitations in that kind of thing as well, you know. So I think that's important for him as well. I, you know, I'd be happy enough if I was Israel Adesanya to walk out there with the win last night, but I'd know that there's, you know, Monday morning I'd be getting back in the gym to try to cover those holes that were exposed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And look, I think moving forward here, Adesanya has put himself in prime position for a title shot. You know, we Kelvin Gastelum obviously had the title shot last night, but, you know, will there be an interim title created? Now, I know they say four to eight weeks with, with Robert Whitaker, but that's, you know, four to eight weeks and then probably another 10 weeks uh, to, to get into a fight camp and everything like that. And we know how quick the UFC moves. So I could, I could see, you know, I could see something like that. Like maybe Adesanya versus Gastelum for an interim title or, you know, may, maybe Gastelum waits out again. He's been waiting for close to a year now, I think, for that fight. So it's a difficult one. And then Anderson Silva is looking for a, a fight as well. He's talks about of him fighting Chris Weidman in, in Curitiba coming up here in a couple of months so you know big movement around the middleweight division and we'll see how that plays out over the over the next while you know we mentioned earlier that the rest of this card there wasn't there wasn't really that much I thought it was a great fight between Teruto Ishihara and uh, and Kang there in, in the in the preliminary card Devonta Smith and Jalen Turner got two very very good uh, KOs Ricky Simone put on a great display as well against uh, Hani Aya knocked him down three or four times in that fight uh, Montano De La Rosa as well got the submission with the armbar she looks a good prospect and Jim Crute as well but with uh, with Sam Alvey and obviously we mentioned Lando earlier what did you think of that that Sam Alvey stoppage I know he was kind of going mad at uh, Mark Goddard for it, it was, do you think it was a bit early yeah, I think it was because, you no, know, again, it's very, very difficult to see. And, you know, again, you have to say, what, what, what's the referee seeing here, right? Yeah. And I think, if I recall correctly, Mark was standing on slightly the wrong side. So he could see the punches were being thrown, but he couldn't see where they were landing. And if you look at the replay, they were landing on Alvi's arm and that kind of thing. They weren't connecting with his temple, with the side of his head, with his jaw. And Alvi also gave him the thumbs up, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in that situation, he's not going to have a conversation with Goddard. He's not going to go, no, I'm grand here, Chief. Just give me a second here. Just trying to work out an angle here. Oh, there we go, you know. So he gave him the thumbs up and told him that he was good to go and that kind of thing. Now, there's, there's a point as well, when you get struck, you know, by a blow like that and you get dazed, it's very, very easy to see because, you know, the head starts to roll just a little bit because you're not in control anymore. And, you know, I think that, that was what happened to Alvi when he was hit and, and knocked down the first time, that he was sort of rocked back on his heels a little bit. I mean, it was an early stoppage and that kind of thing. But again, somebody like Mark Goddard, if Mark Goddard makes a mistake, it's an honest mistake. He's just doing his best to protect the fighter from mm -hmm. taking damage that he shouldn't take. No fighter wants a loss in the column where they feel that they had more to give. But Alvi went absolutely bonkers after yeah. that finish. Uh, you know, after the result was called, he stormed out of the cage and that kind of thing, you know. And he did. Now, this is the thing that I couldn't place the fights that he was complaining about. Goddard has stopped his fights early before, you know. Because the funny thing is, he's called Smile and Sam. And, you know, everybody remembers him as being this happy-go-lucky character. But, you know, he seems to have a bit of a beef with Goddard. And maybe it might be an idea for, for Dana and for the UFC not to put Goddard in charge of his fights and maybe let him go in there and sort of take a little bit more damage because he seemed to you know he was pretty much untouched when he came out of there apart from the fact that he was really fucking 
angry about the whole thing. But again, I just I find it really, really hard to to, to fault referees for stoppages. Maybe Goddard could have been in a better place. Maybe he could could have given it a second or two. He's usually very, very quick on his feet to you know to change the angle. You know, if he sees something there, that kind of thing. So yeah, was the stoppage early? Absolutely. Do you know? Will I fault a referee for it? Probably not, because at the end of the day, I've never seen a fighter who thinks that you know you know if there's any possibility that a stoppage is early, they're always going to say it was early. They're always going to say I could have kept going on, even if it was bad for their health. You know, so in this stage, it's unfortunate for Sam Alvey. Chalk it up to a loss and just get back in there again as soon as you can. Yeah, personally, I think this is the hardest stoppage you can you can get in MMA because it's one where you got knocked down, almost finished, then you get back up and you're clearly hurt, falling backwards towards the cage, then you go down in for a, a, a takedown and then you get hit with five, six, seven, eight shots of ground and pound like that you know it's people will criticize me and say you know I, I talked about TJ Lillishaw and, and Henry Cejudo that one's kind of a different one because you okay you're the firefight then the guy gets dropped and he tries to fight like when he gets dropped and you're stopping him there before you give him a chance to fight I think that's where you call it definitely a bad stoppage but when a guy gets yeah. dropped you give him a chance he gets back up he backs up hard then tries to go for the takedown and then you hit him with five or six shots of ground and pound like I, 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 I agree as well. I, I think it was an early stoppage, but I can see why Mark Goddard was stopping it at that stage because he gave him two, three chances there. No, he gave him the chance, and I think he took that chance because he, you know, okay, was there an intelligent defense? Maybe there was because he was going for the leg, but he wasn't getting hit with the shots. So I think he could have left it go for another while, and and you know, I think Alvi could have could have kept going, and you know, he has. Yeah, you know, Alvi, Alvi, you know, I wouldn't criticise him for give, giving out and going mad the way he did. But, uh, you know, I can see it from, from Goddard's point of view uh, as well, 100%. Uh, but I think we have to remember as well, though, Sean, that, you know, uh, we have to think of this from people who don't know anything about the sport, right? The Joe Brolies of this world who will watch something like that and think, you know, that, that he, he probably thought that that was a late stoppage. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, you know, we, we also have that to take into account. Melbourne isn't the most mature of MMA markets, right? In terms of an athletic commission that's, that's staging fights there and that kind of thing as well so you have to take that into account as well that you know the referee's job in any sport and we've talked about this before is to protect the athletes it's you know and he does that by enforcing the rules it's that simple right and unfortunately the rules in any sport are never black and white i've yeah. been playing football this afternoon and i could argue 10 calls with any referee that was out there you know so that's the problem goddard is entrusted with that and he makes that decision you know Goddard is not, you know, there are plenty of referees out there that are that are dumb and that don't pay attention, that don't move quickly enough. But Goddard is one of the best referees in the business. And if he considers in like in that in the heat of the moment that the best thing for Sam Alvey now is that I stop this fight, you kind of have to accept it. You know, Herb Dean has come in for a lot of criticism in the last one as well for waving off fights, you know, that kind of thing. But ultimately, you know, I mean you mentioned there, was he intelligently defending himself? Yes. Was the most intelligent defense I've ever seen in that position? Absolutely not. You know, he could could have done things a lot different there. Well, I thought he recovered quite well from the initial knockdown, that kind of thing. And he was on his way back, but he just didn't seem to make his way back quick enough for Mark Goddard last night. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's 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 move on before we get to, to next week's card. Let's talk about the other card uh, this weekend. And Bellator's big week uh, in general. I know we, we already kind of discussed it on, on Patreon earlier in the week. But let, let's just mention it here quick. You know, obviously Bellator signed a deal this week with Channel 5 to air their six European cards on Channel 5, the European series, and then they signed with Sky Sports for a year as well to air all of their uh, American cards and all of the numbered cards. Obviously, the one coming up here in Ireland, I'm not sure why that's part of the European, not part of the European series, but however, we're going to get that on Sky Sports uh, anyway. It's a, it really is a big deal here, isn't it, for, for Bellator? You know, we've been complaining about it a lot. I was talking to Guillermo Cruz last night on Twitter, and he was giving out about it not being on in Brazil. And I was like, just four years of complaining on the podcast, and, and, and you'll get there. So eventually we got there. I'm just so glad I don't have to talk about this anymore. And I know the people listening here are glad that, that we don't have to talk about it anymore. But it's it's a great monumental deal for him, isn't it? I, I don't even know if we can have a podcast anymore yeah. because that was the, the single recurring theme over the last four years or whatever, you know. No, it is. It's brilliant. And last night I sat down to watch it and I only watched the main card now. So I didn't watch I watched, I think, the last of the prelims or whatever else, but I only watched the main card and I really enjoyed it. Now, the standard wasn't the kind of thing that you expect from the UFC and, you know, the broadcast itself wasn't the standard you'd expect from the UFC. In places, it wasn't even as good as Cage Warriors. But you know what? I don't care. It's something new. It's something fresh. There are new people in there. You know, Aaron Chalmers might have lost last 
last night, but that's fine by me. I enjoyed the main event between Patrick Pitbull and, and Ryan Scope there. It was like, you know, it's just the whole thing was just a breath of fresh air and there are things that they can improve and get better on. But Jesus, all round last night, I was happy enough yeah. with that Saturday evening's entertainment. And it was also one of the time when, you know, you know, I don't have to ask you to, to text me in the middle of the night to wake me up to watch the main event and that kind of thing, you know. So I think it's going to be pretty good. We've seen some of the, the challenges that they're going to face, right? Aaron Chalmers getting beaten last night is a bit of a problem for them because, you know, casual fans who would have been switching on Channel 5 for the first time and have only ever seen, you know, their only experience of MMA is actually watching Jody Shore. They will have been put off by the whole thing because, you know, they, okay, their boy lost. Why am I watching this at all, you know? But I do think that, you know, gradually that was kind of a good thing that could happen because now the expectations of the fighters will be lowered somewhat. Fabian Edwards is quite good. I enjoyed that fight as well. Uh, Chris Bungard with that, you know, we keep calling them near rear naked chokes when in fact they seem to be sort of, you know, jaw cranks or whatever else they're going on there. That was quite quite good for him to bounce back there. No, but all in all, it was brilliant. And I do think that as time goes on and as Sky in particular get in, we talked about this on the, the Patreon podcast during the week there, as Sky get in there and start to build, right? Because Sky is not just Sky. Sky is Murdoch. It's the Sun. It might even be the Times. It might be all these other newspapers that can get involved in that kind of thing. They'll start to build these guys and they'll start to put them in the news pages, the papers and not just the sports pages and when that happens I think we'll, we'll have you know very enjoyable fights as the quality gets better but we'll also have something that we, we look forward to and at least that we look forward to seeing compete yeah 100% and like j- just on the Sky thing bef- before anything else you know we, we talked about uh, you talked about there the, the broadcast team from last night and I thought it was it was pretty horrendous all around but I'm told that for the Sky broadcast it will be the American feed it won't be any English feed any English commentators or anything like that it's going to be the American feed so we can rest assured with that one and for for the feed itself in uh, in Channel 4 and we'll get to the fights in a second I, I, I'm actually I, okay it was bad but I'm okay with them changing up and doing a little bit different for those cards when it's Channel 5 you know a lot of people watching Channel 5 I'm sure would know the presenters there and they, obviously the Jordy shorting and bringing those people on it's okay because the vast majority of people watching that are going to be casuals. You know, you're going to have your your uh, your MMA fans as well coming in to watch it. But I think it's okay with that. So look, it's it's a good deal all around for everyone. Hopefully, they'll be able to get those those Channel Five shows in Ireland on YouTube or somewhere. So I know because I know a lot of people can't watch it. But you know, the Sky deal as well. You know, we might as well touch on it because a lot of people listen to this podcast. Actually, I think we we just passed that like more than half the people outside of the. Uh, more than half the people from America listen to podcasts and rest from Ireland and the UK and stuff so like Sky I suppose Sky is like it, it is the UFC of of sports broadcasters here you know there's Sky Sports News this dedicated sports news channel it's like you know sports center 24 hours a day and you know if you're going to a hairdresser it's going to be on there if you have 10 minutes to, to kill it's going to be on there and if Bellator could, could get on that it'd be absolutely huge for them it's it's the place where where fan, fans of sport go and I think you know another point with that we didn't actually mention on the Patreon podcast and a couple of people I saw him kind of giving out about the price of, of Sky and stuff which is, is fair enough but uh, MMA fans in America and all around the world usually are seen as okay there's a lot of sports fans who like MMA but there's a lot of just MMA fans who just like MMA and there's a lot of them in Ireland as well in the UK but I think the vast majority of people in Ireland in the UK who like MMA also like other sports and that's a d- yeah. different I think than, than, the, than the US you know there's there's probably a high percentage in the US as well, but I think it's a very, very high percentage around here. You know, people tuning in to, to watch the you know the five uh, five thirty game on BT Sports are going to see an ad for you know for John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Maybe they'll watch it. You know, maybe if they put an ad in the middle of of Man United versus Liverpool there in in three weeks time, and you know you see whatever the fight is coming up, Fedor is fighting, or Chael Sonnen is fighting, or Ryan Bader is fighting, whoever, maybe they'll tune in that night, or maybe they'll set it to record and watch it. So I think that's absolutely, absolutely huge. You know, it was a problem with the 11 sports deal for the UFC as well, that they didn't have the soccer, and they didn't have that on the same channel yeah. as that, because that's really the destination. And I think that's, did Bellator now have the biggest destination? That's really huge for them. Well, I think it's it's a wonderful thing for them because, you know, again, to put for American listeners to put it in context, right? I remember walking through an airport and seeing uh, MMA on Fox Sports News. I can't remember which airport it was. I think it was LA four or five years ago. I was thinking how far this has come from when I got the first UFC videotape, which I absolutely I never I didn't enjoy it at all back then. Mm-hmm. I remember renting at Next Division on Collins Avenue in Dublin back in the day. And that was how you saw these things. Then. And now all of a sudden this is on during the day, you know, the three o'clock flight or whatever I had, and it's on the TV there. And that's what's going to happen in the UK now and that has never happened with the UFC 
the UFC has never been on Sky before. It's never been on Sky Sports News, which is the equivalent of Fox Sports News in the UK and Ireland and indeed in Europe. You know, So if that starts to get a place there, Bellator starts to get a place there, Michael Venom Page starts to get a place there, Paul Daly, Roy Nelson, all these people start to get a place there and they become you know, a part of the sporting discourse because p- people are omnivores, right? They don't just like, I mean, the lads I would have played football today with, they were training Gaelic football this morning and then we were playing soccer in the afternoon whilst one of them was watching England against France and the rugby on his phone waiting for the game to start. This is what we do. Sport is how we live our lives. It's how we relate to one another. So, you know, it's in the same way as you go into a sports bar in Boston and people will talk to you about the Patriots and the Celtics and the New England Revolution and the Red Sox. And it's just, it flows through their veins every day. And an, an essential part of that, the drip that's feeding into those veins for us is Sky Sports News. It's just, it's like you say, it's always on. It's on in the hairdressers. It's on your phone on the bus. It's on your Twitter feed. It's absolutely everywhere. And for, for MMA to become a part of that, it's another big step. You know, one of the greatest steps that we had was Connor, you know, bringing the sport into the mainstream consciousness for, for Irish and British and European viewers. And this is another step again. It's going to become part of that. So, not and you know, not only is it going to sort of you know increase the visibility of the sport, but it's also going to increase the popularity of the sport and the understanding of the sport as well. And I would expect to see Bellator. You know, for me, this is a, just a brilliant tactical move because I think that this growth that they're going to experience in Europe, whilst the UFC is putting on weakish cards, Bellator have accepted that. Look, we're just going to put fights on. That's it. They don't have to be the greatest fight in the world. Fights in the world. They don't have to be the greatest fighters in the world. But we're going to put them out there, and we're going to make people root for them one way or another. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it can only be good. You know, the rising tide of MMA is going to lift all boats of all organizations 100%. i think bellator's biggest problem all over the world well apart from maybe getting on tv is the word bellator and getting the word bellator into the lexicon lexicon of the people like remember the you know the ufc dana white used to always say they brought those three letters ufc because people knew ufc and sky sports news getting the word bellator on there will get that into the lexicon of the people in ireland and the uk and that is a huge step for them you know Fighters like, you know, James Gallagher could come out there and he could meet a cousin of his or something and hadn't met him in years and go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm an MMA fighter now. I'm, you know, one of the best in the world. He goes, all right, you fight for the UFC. And he goes, no, no, I fight for Bellator. (laughs) Or or not James Gallagher. It could be Michael Chandler over in America. It could be Gegard Mousasi. Anyway, maybe not Gegard Mousasi because he's been fighting a long time. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it's UFC. So getting Bellator into the lexicon of of the ordinary person is huge. And there's no place better than Sky Sports News to do that. So it's, you know, huge for Bellator. I've created criticise him for four years and I give him all the praise now so fair, 100% fair play to him let me mention the, the few fights on this card before we move on to next week's cards um, you touched on, on the main event there Pitbull versus Ryan Scope I think Ryan Scope can count himself on lucky here I think Pitbull won the first round Ryan Scope won the second and the thir- or, or Ryan Scope won the third sorry and the, the second round was, was very very close Scope fought fought really really well and I thought he might have just edged it but you know, this is the fight I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch of it was a very very good technical fight really really enjoyed it um, Aaron Chalmers then he almost got the walk off KO in round one then almost got TKO'd from ground and pound himself and then got a, qu- a quick heel hook uh, in the third round and you know it's it, it was probably Aaron Chalmers best outing to date in terms of it was a real fight uh, he went in there against Corey Browning who beat Baby Slice before him and and proved that he can he can hang with guys who are legit mar- mixed martial artists who have five and six fights. So I I think I don't think it was the worst thing in the world for him. Maybe for people watching on Channel Five, maybe for all of his fans, a hundred percent. But I think if he comes back from this, it, it, it'll be uh it won't be bad for him at all. Then Chris Bungyard got the got that uh, lock around the waist, uh, took um took his opponent down at uh, uh, Terry Brazier, even a very very good fighter who beat Reese McKee recently. You know, and a very good wrestler. Yep. To wrestle him down like that and get that kind of rear naked choke uh, face lock as you were talking about, really, really fantastic. And then obviously Team Graham's Fabian Edwards looked, <laughs> looked really, really good. Head kicks in the first round, you could see they were absolutely wide open against Luke Chad or Luke Chadwick. I I knew I was going to call him Luke Chadwick. I was saying it to myself. I, I, yesterday. I wish he was fighting Luke Chadwick. <laughs> I wish he was fighting Duncan Edwards against Luke Chadwick. Yeah, I'd watch that. Uh, <laughs> Lee, Lee, Lee Chadwick, exactly. Lee Chadwick. Uh, he got very defensive in the Chadwick in the second and uh, the, the takedown then in the third came for Fabian Edwards but I think it was it showed how green Fabian Edwards still is but I think yep. it showed how good he is as well a really good fight but there was I thought it was good, a good fight all around good card all around for, for Bellator and a good way to start out I think it you know sometimes these cards can come out and you can have a lot of squash matches and maybe only you know 15 minutes total of MMA action over two hours and stuff and I think that can be kind of a pain in the arse at times but the fact that we had what three decisions here and and uh 
well, you know, two decisions, sorry, and, and one fight going to the third round and then another kind of quick fight. I think that was a good way to, to kind of set out this card and good night all around and good week for Bellator, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was nice and it was, there was nice pacing and that kind of thing. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think the loss for Chalmers was actually a good thing because if you were an undefeated fighter and you don't really have the sort of the full toolbox that we were talking about, then it's best that you get it over and done with, right? You know, when he when he knocked uh, Browning down and, you know, thought he had a walk-off KO and I always go back to what Conor McGregor did when he hit Jose Aldo and his first instinct was to pounce and to hammer him and he wasn't stopping until the referee got in there and Aaron Chalmers has learned that lesson in the most expensive way possible and the other thing was when he was trying to pass Browning's guard there and he got caught with the heel hook you don't want a guy a grappler like Corey Browning under you there because when your your feet are that close as as close to his armpits as they were there that's the one thing that he's going to do he's going to heel hook you from that and it is extremely painful to have that happen to you Fabian Edwards as well that was a great fight for him last night unanimous decision went to the distance with Lee Chadwick one of the things that I would have thought he needs to learn from because you know when he's fighting sort of lesser fighters no offence to Lee Chadwick here now you know or Luke Chadwick if he was in the octagon <laughs> either but he was backing straight out so he's coming straight in straight out and he's going to need to learn to change the angles a lot you know 100%. he needs to improve the boxing a little bit more just go in and get out on an angle that kind of thing because a better fighter will catch him you know, I mean, if you go back to the UFC, like an Anderson Silva type of counter striker is going to catch him doing things like that, you know. But he got out of there, he got the win, he's still 6 and 0, you know, and that kind of thing. I mean, the great thing about MMA is that losing a fight is not the end of the world, but Fabian Edwards still unde- undefeated now, you know. I mean, again, this is the thing now because it was on the TV and we could watch it, you know. Yeah. I mean, take James Gallagher's fights to begin with, you know, be waiting a day or two for a YouTube link and then you'd see it and you can't get excited about it. But we were able to watch that live and we were able to follow Fabian Edwards and to follow this development and to see these things and we can have this conversation now and people can listen to us having this conversation now it just becomes this this bigger broader better thing for MMA so yeah it has been a great week for Bellator but it's been a great week for MMA in general and for the, so the breadth of the sport and, and its reach yeah 100% definitely uh, next week's kid or uh, Bellator cards even then if they have two cards next week one on the let me just look here the, two, the 15th and then one on the 16th we won't hit too much on Bellator 215 Matt Mitrion versus uh, Sergey Haritanov should be a good a heavyweight fight there, Eduardo Dantas back on that as well, Brandon Gritz, who a lot of people know back on that as well, and a few other fights, not that many great fights, Austin Vanderford uh, Van as well on that against Cody Jones, obviously he's the, I think he's the husband now of Paige Van Zandt, so he's a good up-and-coming prospect as well, but two, Bellator 216 is the first fight, I believe, on on Sky Sports, it's going to be Michael Vinn and Page against Paul Daly, we check Congo against Vitaly Minikov, Mirko Krokop versus Ryan Nelson, Eric Silva, I think I, I think he's making his Bellator debut there, I don't think he's had one yet, so uh, some good fights, you know, coming up there, Paul Daly against Michael Vinn and Page, how, uh, you know, I, I talked to Richard Kiley on the podcast here about this a while back, and he maintains fully that Michael Vinn and Page is gonna, is gonna wallop Paul Daly here, do you, do you see it going to going a certain, uh, the same oh, sort of way? Do you know, I did to begin. When the fight was announced, I did see it going the same way. And then I've been listening to Paul Daly and I've been seeing how the things are going to go. Oh, I'm not so sure anymore. What I am sure about is that like, I know where I'm going to be when that fight takes place. I am going to be glued to my television when that happens. It's one of those things that, you know, Bellator have a little bit of a problem now because the roster that they've built up, you know, with uh, Michione, with Crow Cup, with, with uh, Roy Nelson, with these guys, you know, they were kind of, R- Rory McDonald came over, Musassi came over, you know. So they were taking sort of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but sort of guys who were done in the UFC, yeah. guys who were cast-offs or who had fallen out with the UFC. And now they need to adjust that roster slightly, right? So they signed up all these sort of 40, 50, 60 Irish and British fighters as well. And now they have to get that blend right. And this card with, with Daly and Michael Venom Page on it is the start of that. And those two fighters in particular, now the unfortunate thing is that most likely one of them will have to lose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it might set up a rematch, it might set up whatever, but it's just the two of them have, you know, skill sets that are, that are complementary and that kind of thing. They say, I just think it's going to be an absolute brilliant fight and it's a perfect way for them to start this sky deal because like last night Aaron Chalmers and all that kind of thing yeah I get it but this really is what the fight game is all about there'll be no mentions of Jordy Shore that night it will be down entirely to the skills of, of the people on the main card to show us what Bellator is all about and to show us what is to come over the next year of these TV deals yeah 100% like watching a bit of tape for this fight coming in here over the last couple of days and it's 
you know, you'd have to favour Michael and Vinan Page, alright, just because he's so awkward and he's so good, you know, if it's not someone who's going to just bum rush forward and take him down and maybe eat a shot or two to get in there and, and take him down and maybe, do, you know, pull a Habib and, and lay on him for a couple of rounds and, you know, I think people will be able to do that to him, you know, if he was to fight in the UFC against a Ben Askren or against, uh, you know, a Tyron Woodley or someone like that and even guys, you know, Rory McDonald in, in Bellator, I think, would, would be able to do it to him as well but that's not Paul Daly, you know, Paul Daly's not a wrestler, he's a striker as well but yep. the one thing I will say about Paul Daly is, I think if this fight goes, I don't know if it's 25 minutes or 15 minutes, I think the Bellator main events are still 15 minutes, aren't they? I think if this goes, you know, the distance, I think it'll be Michael Vinn and Page winning it. And, and I think, you know, if it, okay, if it's finished as well, probably Michael Vinn and Page as well. But Paul, Paul, so you're going with Michael Vinn and Page is what you're trying to tell me here. I am. But Paul Daly, he has a big, big chance because... Daly is a very much um, not very much a flat-footed fighter but compared to Michael Vinn Page you know fucking Demetrius Johnson's a flat-footed fighter everyone <laughs> but Paul Daly's a guy who okay he's maybe a fighter from from five years ago where Michael Vinn Page is a fighter from maybe three years in the future you know he's on it all time but Paul Daly still has that power he has that ungodly power and he's willing to go in there and see fucking shots coming at him and just unleash a big left hook and catch a guy square in the fucking chin and he could do that very well to Michael Vinn Page he really really could do that I wouldn't be shocked if he did that at all and I think that's that makes this fight just so exciting. It's it reminds me like a bit like a heavyweight fight, like a you know a Mark Hunt fight or a Ryan yeah, Nelson exactly. fight. You know it could be boring as sh- well. This one couldn't be, but a heavyweight fight like could be boring as shit for like three rounds, but you're still kind of on the edge of your seat all the time. I remember it wasn't a boring fight, but to me, our um. Mark Hunt versus Junior Dos Santos. I've never sat on the edge of my seat or edge of my bed or whatever it was <laughs> watching that fight because you were just you knew something was coming and then that big swinging head kick came and maybe we weren't expecting that. But in this fight, I think it's going to be the same. This is going to be an edge of your seat, exciting, rip roaring fucking fight for how, however long it goes. If this is three rounds, I think it's going to be really exciting. If it's a quick knockout, it's going to be vicious and it's going to be uh, it's going to be violent. So I'm really looking forward to this. I sound like a better promoter now after taking the piss out of him for four oh, years. Oh, we're all we're all no. no. No, we're all Team Bellator yeah, now. Yeah. All they had to do was give us the TV deal. Because to be honest with you, what used to annoy me most about not having the TV deal was actually Michael Venom Page. Because you know, there yeah. was so much that we'd heard about him and everything else like that. But not being able to follow it live was what sort of killed us. You go, oh, Jesus, just put him on the TV already kind of thing. And now that we have that, you know, Jesus, we've every right to be excited about a big... like Because this is the first big fight that's coming up there. I mean, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch. It's going to be fascinating to see the pageantry of it and to see how they put the production together. And like I say, Dilly... Uh, Daly has that kryptonite in his left hand. He can like he can hit him, and you know everything Venom Page has to do, everything he's done well to this point, he will have to do perfectly that night because all he needs, all Daly needs, is one shot, and he can stretch him out on that canvas, and that's what makes this sport so absolutely brilliant. You know, you can have all the skills in the world, but when you unless you blend them together in exactly the right way at exactly the right time, everybody can be stretched out. It comes to everybody in the end. Basically, pretty much everybody in this sport gets beaten at some point. Apart from John Jones, has only ever been beaten by Usada, and I think he's. 0-5 against them at this stage <laughs> yeah. but you know, that's how it works so and it's going to be fascinating to see that match up and to follow that and that whole card is just brilliant so yeah team Bellator all the way 100% and look just the other kind of two big fights and that Mirko Krokop versus Roy Nelson is exactly that heavyweight fight I was talking oh, about oh, yeah. just oh, could yeah. be boring as shit for a while and then someone will land a big shot and knock someone out or, or else it could be just three rounds of boredom but I, I think it'll be another edge of your seat one and then Czech Congo I fancy Czech Congo to take Val- Vitaly Minikov down again and <laughs> probably lay on him you know Val- Vitaly Minikov was a, was a top Top, top class fighter in his day but I think he's maybe a little bit past it now and Czech Congo has just been taking people down and laying on top of him for fun over the last couple of years so you know it's still you know it's a it's a learning fight anyway we'll see where Minikov is if he wins that you could see him fighting Ryan Bader next uh, in a heavyweight title fight so you but know, across that card strong. as well Sean mm-hmm. just as, you, as you're listing those fights there they're all different types of fights are, yeah. you know so you know you've got heavyweights who could knock each other out you've got you know guys who are going to go in there and wrestle you you've got guys who are going to go in there and strike and try to counter strike so this you know we talked in the beginning about the kind of card that was put on in Melbourne by the UFC. This is a brilliant card, just from the point of view. You sometimes get this with Cage Warriors as well. It's like Graham sits there and goes, oh, you know, well, I want to have, you know, two women fighting and I want to have two heavyweights fighting and I want to have, you know, two wrestlers fighting and that kind of thing. And it just turns out to be brilliant. So it really seems, though I don't know how much of this is by accident and how much is by design, but it really seems like an absolutely perfect card to start off on Sky Sports. Mm -hmm. 100%. And when you look, I just opened up this UFC card here for next week, headlined by Francis Ngannou versus Cain Velasquez. Let me just list some of the fights on this 
because this is a ten times better card than the pay-per-view we just had. <laughs> James Vick versus Paul Felder, fantastic fight. Courtney Brilliant. Casey versus Cynthia Cavio, very good fight. Crone Gracie making his UFC debut against Alex Sarah's never in a boring fight. Vicente Luque, Brian Barberina, the, the legend killer, the prospect killer, Brian Barberina. Miles Jury against Andre Feely, two good technical guys, very good fight. Jimmy Rivera versus Aljamain Sterling, absolutely brilliant fight. Ashley Evans met Andre Lee, good fight. Scott Holtzman, hot sauce against Nick Linz. He'll probably get um, guillotined by Nick Linz. Hinnom Brown, former, <laughs> former monster, former pound for pound number one fighter in the world against Luke Sanders. Jessica Benet, former uh, UFC 115 pounds title contender against Jody Escobel. Really, really good fights on this card. I'm, re- I'm really, really looking forward to this. And think there, oh, we'll talk about the main event in a second, but anything on that undercard that, uh, that you're really looking forward to? I was just looking at the undercard going, that's pretty much better than anything that we had in Melbourne over 100%. the weekend, you know? And it's just, it just goes to show that I think they do sort of, you know, they tailor these things for the American market. This is, this is not a pay-per-view, right? This is just a fight night somewhere, yeah. is it? Yeah, this it is, is yeah. yeah, USB on ESPN, ESPN yeah? yeah. So now, obviously, they, they have to keep it sweet for ESPN because there's another new TV deal on the way there. But that, like the preliminaries, the early preliminaries, everything there is just fascinating, you know? But over the last few weeks or the last few months, because, you know, now the soccer season is on, basically on a Saturday, I start working about three o'clock in the afternoon, and it could be going then until six or seven in the morning if there's a UFC, a big UFC title fight on that night that I'm not at, you know. So that's that's a good long fucking sixteen hour workday. And sometimes I'll take a break and I'll zoom off to McDonald's at the early prelims or something like that, you know, and have me lunch in the middle of the night, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't be doing this this week, you know. The two women's strawweight fights that are on there look brilliant, and the bantamweight fights, Renabarau. I mean, that's that's a fantastic fight. You, you couldn't be missing that, you know. And then all the way on up through, I mean, that really is fantastic. I mean, you kind of have to wonder as well about the size of the UFC roster and what they're doing in terms of the quality at the top end of the UFC is absolutely unbeatable at the moment, right? Yeah. There really are some absolutely superb, by far the best fighters we've ever seen. You know, I mean, I know we can, it's like compared to football teams to those in the 50s. I know they were brilliant then, but, you know, nutrition and strength and conditioning and technique and all the things that are coming together, we're seeing some absolutely brilliant fighters, but sometimes it's a little bit thin as we've seen in Melbourne, but when they decide to put on a card of quality, by Jesus, you can sit there from one end of the night to the other and just enjoy every single strike and every single grappling exchange the whole thing and next Saturday night that's definitely one of those cards yeah and I think it's it, this one's going to be on a little bit earlier again I think I think the the prelim card is uh, midnight I think and the main card is 2am but I, I'll confirm that over on Twitter anyway but I think it's going to be on a little bit earlier than what we're used to so that's uh, another plus point there but uh, look the <laughs> I, I don't want to get to the main event yet because <laughs> there's so much good stuff. But look, I have to mention I have to mention Sterling. Sterling is one of those guys that can come out and take you down and and or else knock you out with a big shot. Jimmy Rivera is a guy who who can you know three round you, decision you a bit like half uh, a and so so really good. James Vick and Paul Felder. Paul Felder, you know he can knock you out with a big spinning forearm or something like that. James Vick very long, hit you hit you really hard from the outside as well. Really 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 looking forward to that. But the main event, Francis Ngannou versus Cain Velasquez. This really is. There, this is the most unknown of unknown fights. You know, I, I tweeted there one of my useless facts of the day. The last time Ken Velasquez won a world title fight, Francis Ngannou had not made his MMA debut yet. So that's <laughs> you know that is that's where we're at with this fight. Ken Velasquez was the best in the world. He's not really the best in the world anymore, or is he? We don't really know because he's been injured so much. We haven't seen him fight. <laughs> Francis Ngannou was one of the best in the world, but he's not the best in the world because Tipe Miocic beat him. Then he came back, had a terrible fight against Derek Lewis. Then he absolutely smashed his next opponent. Now we have him here. Where are we going to go? Where? What's going to happen with this fight? Is Ken Velasquez going to push the pace, pull him down to the ground, beat the shit out of him? Is Ken Velasquez not going to be able, you know, not going to be able to be himself? Is he going to catch a jab, then a big left hand and get knocked out like Alistair over him? A fear for me, uh, fear, you know, me have the fear that the, the poor man has died, uh, <laughs> Alistair, like Alistair over him did. I've no, this fight is one of the most uh, illogical fights in the world. Anything could happen, and uh, you know. It's, it's not that it's illogical, it's that it can be logical in so many different ways. Anything could happen here, and I'm really, but- really excited for it. That's the thing. It's like I remember sitting beside PT Carroll at the UFC event. I can't remember which one. You know, I remember saying to him about the fight. You know, how do you think this is going to go? He said, "Well, it's heavyweight, so somebody's probably going to get knocked out." Yeah. And that's all you can say about it. You know, I mean, when he came in there, I mean, Ngannou, he was shown up so much in those couple of defeats, right? The Stipe Miocic fight was one of them. The one against Derek Lewis was like, "Oh Jesus, how limited is this?" You know. So it's going to be fascinating to see if he has covered the holes in his game. You know, because I mean, Francis Ngannou on his back was never a pretty sight at all. You know, mm-hmm. he needs to be up there c- controlling the distance 
seconds, keeping guys at arm's length, stepping in and then just popping them as hard as he can. And he was absolutely brilliant at doing that on the way up. But then, like I said, when you get to the, the upper echelons of the UFC now, there ain't nobody fucking around up there, right? Cain Velasquez has been there. He's been through the mill so many times. Absolute wars. He's been hit hard on, you know, it's basically like somebody driving a car into his head on occasion and he's still come back and come back and come back. So, you know, it's a great bellwether now to find out where Nganu is right now. I mean, a lot of fighters come up there and the first time they meet adversity, it's, you know, they, they sort of cleave through because, you know, he was a sort of a wunderkind, you know, he, he basically sort of went through everybody the way up and everybody was going, how does he keep doing this? I mean, that was how he became Team Sheehan to begin with. Yeah. You're going, nobody could stop this guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he got as far as he did on the absolute raw power and the raw natural talent. But as soon as it became about the, the, the fundamentals or the science of fighting, he fell short. Because he didn't have that that basis, you know, because he's only been, as you say, you know, Velasquez was fighting before. Uh, he was, I think, he, what did you say? He was in a title yeah, fight his last, before. His la the last time he won a title fight, Ningano hadn't made his MMA debut yeah. yet. This is the thing. So he doesn't have that that institutional knowledge that Cain Velasquez has. You know, Cain Velasquez has forgotten more about fighting than Francis Ngannou could ever possibly know at this stage in his career. And that's what makes it for a fascinating fight because essentially on paper, Velasquez should have far too much knowledge and experience and power. But again, it's the kryptonite. Francis Ngannou can come out there. He can pop him once and just walk out of that cage a winner. You know, mm -hmm. and that's what makes, you know, heavyweight fights so fascinating. You know, he is, you know, it sounds like I'm sort of denigrating his skills there. I'm absolutely not doing that at all. When he starts to pick his shots and when he starts to land them properly, it's lights out for whoever's standing in front of him in, in Gano, you know. But I mean, I just want to see what I want to see next Saturday night is the development. You know, what's he going to do if he finds himself on his back? What's he going to do if he finds himself on his back to the cage? What's he going to do if he gets rocked earlier on? Is he going to be able to go for a takedown of his own, which I can't ever recall him doing at all in, in the UFC? You know, is it like, is it what's he got for a game plan this time around? Because he's going to need something completely different against such an experienced opponent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Ken Velasquez, it doesn't matter how good your game plan is if you come in there against very very good the best Cain Velasquez you can get he will beat you and he will beat you every time Cain Velasquez he's he's in the long grass and he's the best everywhere in the world make no mistake about that Cain, Velas Cain Velasquez at his best beats absolutely everyone John Jones included I think and that, yeah, that's a the, big the, statement but is he that man anymore that's the, pro that's the point here yeah I was just going to try to save you from that statement because Twitter's going to be on fire for the mm -hmm. next 7 or 8 days until this fight happens right? Yeah. but the thing is I worry about Velasquez because of the fact that he's had so many injuries right? Yeah. and you get to a point when you've had so many injuries that you don't care about actually recovering from them anymore you just manage them mm -hmm. and there's so many fighters out there you know who've broken this and busted that and that kind of thing you know Rory McDonald's nose is just one of those things it's like okay I'm just going to do my best not to get hit in my nose because as soon as somebody touches the end of it you know as soon as somebody hands them a Kleenex his nose starts to bleed you know so that's the kind of thing that Velasquez is probably doing at this stage he's never going to say that openly uh, he's never going to say that openly and he's never going to blame losing a fight on that but we all know how many problems he has had in just in trying to make a fight at all you know the injuries that he's had yeah. and the problems that he's had and his teammates have spoken about it as well and yet he doesn't give up so I really hope in the best of all possible worlds that we see a Francis Ngannou who spent the last you know four five six months working on the holes in, in his game and a Cain Velasquez who's as close to fully fit as he could possibly expect to be at this stage in his career because oh, if we get that yeah. we're in for a dinger no matter who Unbelievable. wins. Unbelievable yeah and before we get to a couple of questions just one point on that as well like that's the weird thing about MMA as well and fight sports like that Cain Velasquez you know he could have been fit for seven of the last eight months but now he comes in here and maybe he's not fitting that day and then he doesn't do it like let look at any injury prone player and look at Vincent Company like Vincent Company might have three games in a row and then he might get injured again and he's out but maybe he'll be back in three weeks and he might have ten games in a row and then he gets you know in, being injury prone in another sport Vincent Company could be injury prone and play 30 games in a season or you know a Jack Wilshire or you know a Michael Richards or whoever you want to look at but in MMA, you could have two injuries in a year and you could be out for two years, you know, because that's just the way of waiting for your fight to uh, uh, to, to be uh, waiting to get mad match made or waiting to recover from the last fight or something like that. It's a very, very tough sport like that. And someone can look injury prone and, and you know, maybe not be as injury prone as possible or get the injuries at the, the bad time or just when you get into training and try to up your speed again after being out for so long and getting re-injured. You know, it's it's tougher for Ken Velasquez. And, you know, as I just said a few minutes ago, how, how highly and I'd love to see Ken Velasquez coming back there and putting on a top class performance and, you know even though Francis is in Team Sheehan as well I'd have no problem seeing Ken Velasquez going, getting in there and winning it you know made the best man win so I'm really looking forward to this and it should be fun right let's get to a couple of questions before I get out of here I've kept you for long enough 
Matt already today. <laughs> Head on over patreon.com forward slash severe Matt podcast. Sign up there. Every question I don't get today will be on the QA out on Tuesday morning. They'll have it. There's a QA every Tuesday morning on Patreon. The rewatch is every Thursday. We have usually have breaking news podcasts, career retrospectives, stated UFC addresses, loads of shit for a price of price even of a pint a month. What, what could I do? Ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. I'm giving oh, away. Basically. You know what we'll have to do? Actually, we'll have to do one of our football podcasts in the near future as well. It's a good while since you and me were talking about football. And I was actually in London for three Premier League games a few weeks ago. So I have loads of stuff to tell you about oh, that. So I we'll like do one that. of them in the near future as well. Like anyway, back to the MMA questions. Man United versus <laughs> Liverpool is coming up in a few weeks, actually. That might be a good time we'll to do, do it for well. that, there Jason. Go, there we go. Uh, <laughs> all right. Sean Dinney uh, has a lot of them here on uh, on Patreon. But we get to a couple of them here. And we, I'll get the rest of them on the queue. And uh, should Robert Whitaker be stripped? Do you think there's any call to strip him now at this stage? I don't think there is, but I think the UFC will do it anyway. They don't care about belts. They care about putting on title fights that people will pay for. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think they will strip him, to be honest, because I don't think I don't think they want to put Adesanya into that position right now at the moment. I think they'd rather give him one more fight. Um but it's it's tough to see who it's who it's actually gonna be. Maybe they'd, they'd chance him against the Jacare and, and have him fight uh, that fight they could put Weidman in there with, with uh, against Anderson Silva again and maybe he'd get him back towards the title shot and then make this Gaslam Whitaker fight again. So I don't think he will be. I, I think that's uh, how they'll they'll do it. Um now that Beltor have a deal with Sky, what's the punishment for fans not watching it? Yeah, everyone needs to watch it. You know, I, I wouldn't normally say to to support or well I would I suppose say to support, but people really need to support this. Get on it, watch it on Channel Five if you're in the UK or Northern in Ireland or even Ireland where people are getting here watch it on Sky because it's going to be important if Sky see that this is t- I think people are watching they're going to want to support and want to put more behind it and want to sign on for, for longer it's going to benefit all of us so definitely well, th- uh, get behind yeah, it I think, I think if you're an Irish or British MMA fan I think you need to show an interest we've had this battle for years you and me about the League of Ireland and this year we're going to see Limerick City together right mm-hmm. a, that's an absolute promise I'm making you right now okay. but we need to do the same thing for fight sports because if Sky have this deal for a year and they find that nobody is watching Bellator whatsoever that deal is over. Bellator's gone and we'll be back to another four years of podcast saying why isn't Bellator on TV there, right? So we need to, to stick our eyeballs on the television. We need to go and see the shows and to buy the tickets and to watch Sky Sports News and interact with those things. If we want to have an outlet for young professional fighters coming up, the deals may not be the best at this point in time, but they can make a wage in it, they can sell their sponsors and that kind of thing, they can go through it. We need an outlet for professional fighters. Bellator have muscle, they have financial muscle. They can meet the safe MMA regulations as they will prove when James Gallagher fights in Dublin in the, in the very near future. So we need to support that as fans because if we don't support it and they take the sky deal away well then we have lost our right to bitch forevermore mm-hmm. yeah 100% and on that note as well uh, Amy McLean asks do you think his beloved Finn Harps can survive in the greatest league in the world this year I love them, but no, because they're a part-time side in what is essentially a full-time league now. I, I know a lot of Finn Harps fans, and they really are an absolutely brilliant club and a never-say-die attitude, uh, but I really think it's going to be tough to survive in the, in the Premier Division without a full-time setup. Mm-hmm. And Sean Dini as well on, on Twitter. I've, this is like the Sean Dini show here. He asks about your live shows coming up next week. Tell us about those, those live shows, live podcasts you're doing. Yeah, I have a Patreon of my own at patreon.com forward slash Arrowman and Stockholm. And I'm coming to Dublin, Sean, to do four shows, right? The Arrowman and Stockholm podcast is essentially at the moment about journalism and the media because I feel it's something that we all need to understand a little bit better because not only does it help us as sports fans, but it also helps us in terms of democracy, in terms of the news that we consume, and in terms of being better informed about all the things that enrich our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the first couple of podcasts are maybe aren't of interest to people about these shows. They're going to be to do with diversity and inclusion and what happens when you stand up to people in power. But the second two podcasts on the Wednesday and Thursday, I think it's the 20th and the 21st, well, the first night is going to be about the, the future sports journalists with Dion Fanning. Dion used to write for the Sunday Independent and now writes for Joe.ie. So he's gone from a very, very traditional media role as a sports journalist to a very, very groundbreaking one online. And then the fourth night uh, is going to be an Ask Me Anything. So anybody can turn up and ask me absolutely anything, like, you know, what I get paid, what I do, how I think about things for that night. So I'm encouraging student, student journalists, sports fans, anybody to turn up for those two podcasts in particular. Uh, you will find the link to tickets on my Twitter feed and that kind of thing. The tickets are free, so they're in the International Bar in Dublin and I would recommend anybody making a trip up from Limerick or down from Finn Harps and Donegal to come down and have a look and have a listen and ask questions and hang out and that kind of thing because the whole idea is not me standing up there preaching for an hour, it's to interact with people and to talk to people about these things. Mm-hmm. 100%. Everyone, go to that. Go and check it out, especially if you're in, in Dublin and you're only five minutes away. Go and check it out. Last question here. Well, I have to get to this one from Mr. Podge because it's a bit of a talking point during the week. He asks, how are you feeling right now if you're Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson? And he Quotes a tweet about Connell, uh, Connell? Uh, Cowboy Cerrone saying himself and Conor McGregor look like they could be getting a 155 pound interim title shot. Like, 
this to me when I heard it first, I just kind of didn't really even tweet about it or talk about it or anything because it doesn't seem like it's real. You know, that hardly pass over Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier, which should be the interim title fight here to make Cowboy Cerrone and Conor McGregor an interim title fight. Like, I know we've, you know, we've mentioned it three or four times in this podcast as well, that money talks, but do you think they'll do that? Um, I, I think they could do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does anything for the credibility of the sport if they do do that. I think, you know, what they will probably have to do, you know, I predicted a long time ago that Khabib was going to be out long enough that they would probably strip Khabib of the belt yes. or at least put in an interim title into play. So that interim title, I think, is definitely going to come into play now. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the conflict, don't forget, the conflict is at the at the root of all the great stories that we see, especially in combat sports, right? And an angry Tony Ferguson is a Tony Ferguson that people want to see fight. An angry Dustin Poirier is a, a Dustin Poirier that people want to see fight. So if that was to sort of light up this controversy, remember how Nate Diaz called out Conor McGregor, you took everything that I worked for, motherfucker, you yeah. know? And that was what set up that fight. And if that can sort of, you know, blow, like if that can put new life into the lightweight division was Khabib is on the fence and serving everybody's suspension and paying everybody's fine, then go ahead and do it. But, you know, when I go and write for one of the biggest news agencies in the world about this sport, I have a hard time explaining the credibility factor to audiences. You know, I think, you know, surrounding against Conor is a good fight. You know, it's, it's, it'll be entertaining but let's say it's not any more than that it's not going to tell us who the best or the second or the third best lightweight in the world is at this moment because yeah. Tony Ferguson has to be in that discussion the UFC has to be in that discussion Poirier has to be in that discussion the UFC's biggest problem here is that they want to line Conor McGregor up to be Habib's first fight back when he comes back because they want to everybody knows they want to make that rematch again so if they make an interim title fight between Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier then they can't get that so that's a big problem for them and I think putting Conor McGregor in an interim title fight and making, you know, if he was to win it and become the interim champion, absolutely perfect. No one could argue with that, that he is, you know, one he's blessed back to, to get there. So I think that could be a reasoning behind it and it makes me think that it will happen. But I, I really don't, don't think it should. You know, if you want to do that, I think you make Conor McGregor versus Tony Ferguson or you make Conor McGregor versus uh, Dustin Poirier. Make those fights. But I think McGregor against Cerrone just makes no sense for an interim title fight. Now, it's a great fight. But, I, I think it'd make a great pay-per-view main event if they want to do it that way. But but, but I think I think it does make sense, Sean, again, from the from the, the money talks aspect, right? Yeah. The biggest risks that Tony, or the, sorry, that Conor has right now, Tony Ferguson, Poirier and Khabib are, are three guys that Conor would struggle with if he is anything close to the condition that he's in last time he fought Khabib, right? Mm-hmm. And we've no, you know, indications as to, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of training video or anything of him lately or that kind of thing, right? So those those three guys, I wouldn't like to see him, you know, from a, a personal point of view, you know, I like I think Connor would have would struggle against those three guys right now. Cerrone, not so much. We all know that Cerrone, in fights that he dominates, he wins. In fights that he beats adversity, he tends to lose or, you know, he struggles in, right? So so that's why Cerrone is a good fight to make because it'll be a good ding-dong battle. They'll throw an awful lot of digs and eventually Connor would probably walk away the winner. For the UFC, that makes sense and it tees him up then for Khabib, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, but then, you know, how can you credibly push Poirier out of it after what he's done over the last while? How can you credibly push a fit Ferguson out of it? Now, Ferguson's his own worst enemy due to the, you know, the injuries that he's had kind of thing, you know? He's had to pull out a title fights before especially against Khabib, you know, so he hasn't done himself any favours there, but Poirier, you know, like I say, it's just, it, like it does, it certainly makes sense for Conor, you know, from the UFC's perspective, it'll generate a huge amount of money, but as a sport, you know, and we have to, we've been asking all week, is Bellator a sport? Is the UFC a sport? <laughs> I'll be my gimmick. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'll steal your gimmick here. Yeah, it always happens, you know. What was the saying? You know, like a genius always steals. You know, everybody yeah. else just imitates. You know, but, <laughs> I like that. But from that point of view, you know, for, as a sport, it's going to be a difficult sell. But you know, people will go and see it. I saw was Connor calling out saying he wanted to fight Nate Diaz. If yeah. I was supposed to meet Nick and Curitiba, mm-hmm. uh, that he wants to fight Nate on the same card, I I don't know. I want to see that trilogy fight with Nate Diaz. Personally, for me, it's a better fight for Connor because, you know, put it in at 155, neither guy has been taking their fighting career that seriously lately, it has to be said. Connor has been busy with other things, whiskeys and, and what have you, business deals. Nate has been busy with his cannabis business and that kind of thing. Let them do it. Let them go at it. If you're going to put on a fight for show, put on that one instead and let the interim title thing happen between Ferguson and Poirier would be the way I would prefer to see it done, you know, sure. but I don't call the shots, unfortunately. We, we need a bronze and silver belt, that's what we need here. I lied. <laughs> a couple more quick questions. CJ Tuttle, the, the, uh, 
the Bellator PR guy he said how did you enjoy watching it in high definition I really enjoyed it keep, keep it coming uh, Rhiannon Tots and Chris Bunyard yeah very good we mentioned him earlier on to beat a high level guy like he did really really good you know he trained out of SPG before so really good uh, in that and Ken Allen Ryan Fortune a couple more asked about the, the main event how we scored at Ryan Scope uh, versus Pitbull I just about had it for Scope but there's definitely no robbery or anything there but uh, you know very good fight and I think a proven fight for Ryan Scope you know I asked before that fight did anyone was anyone taking the underdog was anyone taking Scope and everyone basically said no you know nobody nobody yeah. said they were taking him so you know fair play to him and you know fair play to Pitbull as well for coming and going into someone's maybe not his backyard but he's he's a home country and fighting him anyway so indeed for CJ Tuttle but you've got your answer to your question now answer that email that I sent you the other day pal I think I'll be waiting on fucking that one he's a great guy he's a great guy tell the people where to find you Twitter everything like that and what anything you want them to read or if there's any Alpine skiing fans here tell them where to go to find it Oh God, yeah, I'll be covering two events over the next couple of days there as well, but screw all that because you'll find me at Philip O'Connor on Twitter, at Philip O'Connor on Instagram, but most importantly, you'll find me in the International Bar and I can't stress this enough, come to the live podcast, right? especially if you're interested in journalism, you don't even have to be a student. If you just want to know how this works or you're interested in how you become a journalist or a freelance journalist or how you make money at these things, come and I'd be more than happy to tell you and to meet you there and to have a drink and to press the flesh and to enjoy it. And sure, in the same week, I think there's Bellator in Dublin as well, so we'll have a bit of crack with that as well. Are you going, are you going to Bellator in Dublin? Uh, I'm actually leaving on the Friday morning the way things worked out I, I've, I'm on a secret mission that weekend so I'm going to be at some of the press events leading up to it but then I have to get out of, of Dublin then I'll, actually there'll be actually somebody else there for the news agency covering the fights would you believe you'll be so leaving be the just first, as I'm going up ah, we're going to miss each other yeah, again we, that's the thing Like I would have loved to have been there but the thing was the Sky deal wasn't signed at that point so the, yeah. the coverage plan that we put in place for it is it reflects what happened at the time but as I say I'm, I'm going on a secret mission after that so I'll explain to you more when I, when I can magnificent thanks very much Phil thanks everyone for listening and all we have left to do is give you the inspirational quote of the week as I put my mouse over the stop button and get ready to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never find a rainbow if you're looking down. We'll see you next Tuesday or probably Sunday.